The scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. It'll be in page 309 of the Black Pew Bible. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken away his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. We are in the middle of this study, the need for a king, walking through First and Second Samuel. I've heard it said repentance is like a, a stone that is thrown into a pool of water. See, the stone can be retrieved, but you can't control the ripple effect. And you can't affect the, you can't stop the, the ripples from spreading. And David, we're in chapter 12, he has sinned, as we saw last week, by taking the wife of Uriah as his own. When Bathsheba revealed to him that she's pregnant with his child, David sought to cover up his sin by firstly calling Uriah off the battlefront to go home to be his wife. So maybe he would think that the child was his. And when that didn't work out because of Uriah's loyalty, he had his faithful servant killed in battle. So the stone has been cast into the water. And today David's going to be confronted on his sin. David will repent, that's the good news, but the consequences of his sin will affect him for the rest of his days. So a couple of things I, I, I just want to point out to you. We're taking the Lord's Supper today. Chris McWilliams is going to lead us in that. A couple of things. Firstly is we need to be thankful that God doesn't leave us in our sin. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. We've already read this, and as I continue to tell you, I'll just keep reading ahead. It'll help you as we study. We'll be in 13 and 14 next week, but 
just keep reading ahead, but look at verse 1 of chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Where we left off last week, David had committed a couple of heinous crimes against the Lord and against humanity, against Uriah and even Bathsheba. Look at verse 27 of chapter 11. And when the morning was over, David sinned and brought her, being Bathsheba, to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, of course it displeased the Lord. But it seems at this point in time, it's one thing I, I pointed out last week, it's not over. The story's not over. David doesn't get off scot-free, does he? David, at, up at this point, hasn't acknowledged his sin. It's been from chapter 11, verse 27, about a year passes until we get to chapter 12, verse 1. David has been plenty miserable, out of fellowship with God, but he's yet to confess his sin. Then God, he does what God does. He takes the initiative and he pursued David, David in his sinful state. He sent Nathan the prophet to confront him out of his rebellion. God pursues David. God's grace pursues him. He doesn't give up. David, when he cannot and will not remove himself from the chaos of his sin, verse 1 says that the Lord sent Nathan. I was thinking about that. You know, the Lord pursues us when we're lost. And there's a lot of testimonies in this room as I look around. There's a lot of testimonies in this room about God's pursuit of us as lost people. Do you remember when God pursued you as a lost person? For me, I was 17, I remember coming down Beaver Road, and I remember for the first time realizing something wasn't right in my life. And then several months later, I was at Holly Grove Presbyterian Church, and the Lord pursued me that night. It was November 25th and of 1990, and... I remember that. Do you remember those times of pursuing God, pursuing, bringing conviction, opening your eyes, opening your ears, drawing you to Himself, pursuing you? Francis Thompson, he was, a, he was born into a devout Roman Catholic family. He was sent to a boarding school to study for the priesthood, but it soon became apparent to him early on in his studies that he wasn't going to be a priest. His dad was a doctor, and he wanted him to study medicine, but he soon realized he didn't want to be a doctor either. What Francis Thompson wanted to be was a poet. Well, the problem with that is poets don't make much money. So he moved to London. He, he left his home and went to London at the age of 26, much to his family's chagrin, and he began to live in London, and soon he was living on the streets, and he became destitute, and soon after that, he became addicted to opium. He eventually died of tuberculosis, but shortly before his death, he wrote this poem, and it's a famous poem. It's called The Hound of Heaven, and I won't read it for you. It's very long, but in this poem, he confessed that some people thought he was running away from his family, running away from responsibility, but he says, I'm not running away from my family or my home or even myself, but I'm actually running away from God. But Francis says, yet God graciously pursued him, as it were, as the hound of heaven. You remember being pursued by the Lord as a lost sinner? Many of us do. 
the hound of heaven pursues lost people, but he also pursues us as believers, and he pursued David as a follower and lover of God. He didn't take David's anointing like he did Saul. Of course, under the new covenant, we have many promises. Philippians 1.6 is one of my favorite. He says, and I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. See, we're believers. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. But yet, God, as we go wayward, as the, the hymn writer got it correctly, we're so prone to wonder, aren't we? What does God do? He continues to, to pursue us, the hound of heaven. And that's what happens here with David. He's pursued. He's pursued and he's pursued. Aren't you glad the hound of heaven is still pursuing us? I'm glad he doesn't get fed up and leave us to our own self and our own doing. And he pursues us when we're not pursuing him. How many times have we gone wayward? We call it backslidden. Some people call it that. Some people call it going wayward. Some people call it, well, I just lived in the flesh for a while. And that happens in our lives. But God, what does he do? He, he disciplines us like a daddy does to his wayward child. And he draws us and woos us back to himself. Let's be thankful that God doesn't leave us in our sin. That's point number one. Point number two. Be thankful for the Nathans in your life that point out things we don't or can't see. Verses 2 through 9. Oh, Nathan, what does he do? Nathan the prophet sent by God. He confronts David and he does something really wise. He tells a, a former shepherd a sheep story. Well, like David, we need Nathans in our life. He told him this story and it got David's attention, caused him to see his sin for what it was. Because we need, we need Nathans because we oftentimes can't see our own sin. We can't see our own pride, our own selfishness, our own rebellion. Psalm nineteen twelve. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Who can discern his errors? Who can see their own sin? It's hard for us. A buddy of mine, he calls it, David is suffering in chapter 11 from being sin stupid. He says he's sin stupid. He can't see his sin. He thinks what he's pursuing, these temporal pleasures with Bathsheba, is, is better than fellowship with the Lord. And he, he thinks at the moment that it's going to be okay, that it's going to be covered up, and he's going to get through this thing without people knowing, and it's going to be all right. Sin stupid. That's what David is in chapter 11. It's the child that's so self-absorbed and so egocentric. It's when they're talking and they're just spouting off all these things that are flowing out of their selfish heart and everybody in their family is looking at them like, I can't believe you're saying that. But yet they keep talking because they can't see their own selfishness and their own egocentric attitude. They're sin stupid. Sin deceives us, doesn't it? And we need help seeing our sin and its effect on our lives and others. Sin stupid. You've been there? We've, we have, haven't we? So Nathan tells this parable of a rich man who had many lambs. Many lambs he cared really nothing about, but there was this one man who was a poor man. He only had one, and he treated it like a child. Now, who treats a lamb like a child? I don't know, but some people do. Maybe think about it more like a dog. People are dog lovers and cat lovers. But anyway, David, when he hears this story, he's enraged. And he quickly judged that man to be worthy of death not even imagining that he was the man, but he's enraged, right? It made me think of Matthew 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, verse 3 through 4. 
I just read all of it. Judge not that you not be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. They was fired up, wasn't he? This man deserves to die. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is on your, in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now that, a lot we could say about that, but there is this, this, this notion that David couldn't see his sin. It had to be pointed out to him. He was quickly to get mad at this rich man. It's easy, isn't it, to point out other people's sin, but it's hard to see our own. We're naturally blind to our own faults, but quick to see the faults of others. We're often like the college student. There was a, he was filling out a questionnaire to determine roommate compatibility. Some of y'all have done that. And had questions like, do you make your bed regularly? And do you consider yourself a neat person? And he checked the boxes marked yes. And his mother, knowing him well, read his answers and knowing they were far from the truth, asked him why he lied. Why in the world would you lie? He says, what? And have them stick me with some slob or something? We were like that. Sin's deceptive. We can't see it in our lives. So what do we do? We need Nathans in our life. And you know, it's, it's interesting at the time, m- most of the time, we don't appreciate Nathans, do we? We don't like them because we want to be told we're good and right. We don't be told we're wrong. Oh, it hurts our heart, doesn't it? To be told we're wrong. Oh, we want to be told we're right. Of course we do. But you know what? Barbie, you don't need to be told you're right. You really don't. But we we all need to be told we're wrong when we're wrong, right? We need Nathans in our life. Proverbs 27, 6. It's such a gift to have a friend who will tell us we're wrong. Oh, it's love. It's just being loving. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oh, to have a friend that will tell us we're wrong. How do you know that you're loved? You're loved when you know somebody will correct you. That's hard to do in the church, isn't it? Well, they're going to get their feelings hurt. Well, of course. Everybody you correct are going to get their feelings hurt. I'm going to get my feelings hurt if you correct me. But oh, how we need it. We need Nathans in our life. So do you have a Nathan in your life? Are you so involved in the church? Are you in a situation in a, and put yourself in a position in the church where you have Nathan speaking into your life? At our church, we have worship, and we, we welcome everybody to come to worship, and we really encourage people to get involved in small groups so you're around a smaller group of people that knows what's going on in your life, that can speak into your life. And there may be some of you, you're, you're here and you come regularly, but you're not involved in a, in a small group. Well, I would encourage you to be involved in that so you have a, a smaller circle of folks that know more intimately what's going on in your life so they can point out fault. Now, what we do is sometimes we deliberately keep people at arm's length. We don't get involved in those smaller circle part things because people may ask us what's going on. They might get a little close, and that may be difficult for us. But as we read the New Testament, that's the safest place for us to be where we have Nathans in our life. When's the last time somebody's corrected you? When's the last time somebody's corrected you? When's the last time a Nathan has pointed out something in your life, other than maybe your husband or your wife? If that hasn't happened, 
We need, to, we need to think about that. We need to have people in our lives correcting us and point things out. What a gift it is to have a Nathan in our lives. So maybe two things here. Put yourself in a position to be corrected. That's a safe place for us to be. If you're like, well, I really don't want to be corrected. Well, yeah, you're going to have a hard time being a part of the, the, the New Testament church. And that's what we, we do at our church, and we're trying to do things rightly and try to do things biblically and we're kind of moving towards that, but that's why when we do our membership process, it takes such a long time. Because we want people that really want to be here and we want people to be involved in their lives. And people can come and come to worship and, and, and they're here and then, and then leave and not have anybody really know what's going on in their lives. But that's not what it means to be a part of a church. Part of a church is hand in hand and arm in arm living life together. I think that's the, the biblical New Testament model, and that's what we want. We want to know. We want to put ourselves in a position to be corrected if need be. And we want to be in a position where we can lovingly, gently correct others. Because we need it. Right? Man, we're so prone to wonder. So we need to be thankful that God pursues us, and He pursues us through Nathans a lot of times. You have a Nathan in your life. Thirdly, look at verse 13. Confession and repentance is how one's made right with God. We, we, we saw David fall last week because we had kind of David, we had him on a pedestal. And he's, he's such a wonderful man of God, a man after God's own heart. But then last week, chapter 11, we got our hearts broken, didn't we? We're so disappointed. Because we want heroes, don't we? We want heroes, and David was just doing so well, and all of a sudden last week, oh, despicable things David did. How terrible. He was so deceived. Look at verse 13. David is clearly understands. He said to Nathan, after Nathan says, you're the man. David's so enraged, that man should die. Nathan says, yeah, you're the guy. David. Look at verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And notice God's response. Nathan says, The Lord has also has put away your sin. Remind me of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalm 32 is one of the psalms in which David writes and he reflects on his sin, his repentance, his, this year time period where he's away from the Lord. Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51 that Jake read for us, they both tell of this, this account of David being wayward and these rebellious wayward times. They're not times of pleasure, really, and and joy. They're t- days of misery, and, and David, he's plagued with guilt. And In fact, let's turn over to Psalm 32. Flip right if you've got a black pew Bible. Page 546. 
Look at verse 1 through 4. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent during that year period, right, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you did what? Talking to the Lord, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach them. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. So here we see David being pursued by the Lord through the prophet Nathan. And what does David do? He, he's miserable. And his misery, what it does is his misery tender, tenderizes David's heart, preparing him for this rebuke. All his misery, just tenderize him. And then when Nathan comes and rebukes him, he's like, you're right. You're right. I've been so miserable. I'm so tired of it. You're right, Nathan. You're right. And he repents. Matthew Henry, about that time that he was away from the Lord, he says this, David state, he says, during it, at that time, it is certain that David penned no songs, his heart was out of tune, and his soul like a tree that is life in the root only. Yeah, he was just going through the motions, just drying up. Weary. Couldn't sleep, didn't have an appetite. Those physical manifestations, right, of our sin. But then we see him repenting. It reminded me of there's a little boy. I read a story, a little boy. He was at his grandparents, and his grandfather gave him his first slingshot. And he runs off in the woods, and he's, he's practicing. He's shooting, he's shooting, he's shooting. Grayson, but he couldn't hit anything. You know, he just, he's trying, and he just couldn't. He's just firing away and having a great time. Well, he, he heard his grandmother call for lunch. And so he runs in the backyard, and he sees his, grand, his grandmother had this pet duck. And he looked, and that duck was looking at him. He, he ran back there, and he fired. He and sure enough, the only thing he'd hit all day, he hit that duck right in the head, killed it, graveyard dead. And he was shocked, and he didn't know what to do. And so he took that duck, and he's looking around, and, and he put it in the wood pile, and he piled wood on top of it. And he runs in for lunch, and, and on the, as he's running in the door for lunch, he looks over, and his sister Sally is on the corner of the house. And he saw that she, she saw what had happened. And so he runs in the house, and... They're eating lunch, and when they finish lunch, grandmother said, all right, Sally, help me with the dishes. Sally goes, well, Johnny, he's going to take care of the dishes. And she whispers over there to him and says, remember the duck. <laughs> so Johnny goes there, and he washes the dishes. And the next day, something similar happened. The granddaddy says, hey, I'm going to take all y'all fishing. The grandmother says, well, Sally can't go. She's got to help me clean the house and get, and get supper ready. So I said, no, 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 no. Johnny said he wanted to do that today. And it went on and on and on and on. Johnny did all the chores, both his and Sally's. Finally, he couldn't stand it no longer, and he went to his grandmother, and he confessed. And she took him in his arm. She says, I know Johnny. She said, I was standing at the kitchen window, and I saw the whole thing. And I love you, and because I love you, I forgive you. I just wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. When we, when we harbor our sin, we don't confess and repent, we become slaves to our guilt, don't we? But there's really, if we're in Christ, there's really no need to do that. 
because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, ready to forgive us. Now in His righteousness, He may deal with us severely, right? And we have consequence of our sin. We can always trust, even in our discipline, even in the consequences. He has our, only our ultimate good in mind. Verse 13 is wonderful. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And that's what He deserved, wasn't it? In fact, people in this story leading up to this point, had died for lesser things. And David knew that's what he deserved. Confession and repentance is how we, can be, how we can be made right with God. And lastly, forgiveness. Even though he's forgiven, that verse 13 is so wonderful. The Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. But fourthly, forgiveness doesn't eradicate the consequence of our sin, does it? You won't read all these verses, but verse 10 and 12 Nathan goes into the consequence of David's sin. And this really, this is, this, these verses are really a guide for the rest of the book. The rest of 2 Samuel. None of us live only for ourselves and our choices never affect only our own lives. And what are the list of consequences here? Verse 10, The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of your eye, the Hittite, to be your own eye. And, and we're going to see this in detail. The sword's never going to depart from your house. And it's, it's interesting, up to the, this point, he'd been a man of war. David's never lost in victory, a victory. He's never lost a battle. He's always won. He's the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champion of the world so far. He hasn't lost. But soon we're going to see a, a lot of bloodshed within his own family because of his sin. Verse 11 and 12. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. We're going to see Absalom. We're going to see Absalom rebel against his own father. And Absalom learned to despise his father by his own deeds. By his father's own deeds. We're going to see the results of that in the chapters to come. Look at verse 14. Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. See, another, another consequence is the Lord's name is blasphemed, right? And then the child is born to you shall die. Forgiveness is a sweet, wonderful thing, but it doesn't eradicate consequences. And sometimes we have to endure those consequences. And not only us, but those in our sphere of influence as well. A couple things just by way of application before we take the Lord's Supper. You have, again, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone that knows what's going on with you and can they, do they have the freedom to point those things out in your life? That's a safe place for you to be. And secondly, we've blown it and some of you maybe you're living and you're wallowing in and struggling with this guilt and, and for many of you maybe you just need to repent and some of you maybe you repent but there's this false guilt and shame and you can't move past and it's interesting in verse 26 through 31, and we won't read that, but what happens with David is David moves on. He blew it. There's going to be consequences. He owns those things. I'm going to endure these consequences. This is a struggle I'm going to fight through. But then he moves on. He puts it in his rearview mirror, and he moves on. He goes on to battle against Rabbah in verse 26 through 31, and David goes and defeats that city. But I just want to point that out. There's still kingdom work to do. 
yeah, you hate, you blew it. There's a lot of regret. Repent and let's move on because there's still kingdom work to be done and God can still use you. And, and lastly, it was the story of a, of a lamb being slaughtered which exposed David's sin, right? The story of this lamb being, being slaughtered and eaten. But it's the story of the slaughter of the Lamb of God which exposes the immensity of all our sin, right? Just as David says, the man who done this deserves to die, we should see the death of Christ and see our own culpability. So may the Spirit today open our eyes and open our ears for those of you that's never repented to see your culpability and you'll be able to say, I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm the boy, I'm the girl. I deserve to die. In fact, you and me, that's what we all deserve. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.